Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill building courses for you to choose from because the steps that you choose to take today will help you to love what you do in the future. And that's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. What's going on, buddy? Hey, hey. How you doing? Fantastic. Yeah? So, okay. You got the spotlight on Wednesday. It's my turn now. It is your turn. And for some reason, I thought that we were going to be sharing your story next week. But no, it's today. It's Friday. Yeah. So I want to make some sort of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air rhyme (laughs) about my life real quick, but I don't don't have the skills. If only. It's all about how my life got (laughs) twisted. But I can't go any further. Uh, But yeah, so one thing real quick. You you mentioned I'm I'm in Florida. That's part of the reason we're doing a couple of besties. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Let's share why it is that you're down there. The reason we're in Florida and I... yeah, I think I've talked about this a few times on the show. Had the craziest incident over spring break where a tree uh, got hit by lightning in our front yard and a massive chunk, it exploded, a massive chunk fell through our roof, splinters all over the place in the yard, my neighbor's yards. And so we had to get the tree removal company, file an insurance claim, uh, and the house is being repaired as we speak. Mm-hmm. And we were hoping to find a place close by <laughs> that we could rent it was for, exten- for the summer. Extensive work that meant that you were not able to yeah. stay in your house. Had you actually out. had to move out and for, a cu- for a couple months mm-hmm. and we're looking for short-term rentals up here and it was like there's nothing and so we used it as an opportunity you know make some some lemonade to kind of take an extended vacation down to florida so mm-hmm. uh, that's it, it it's been fun it's yeah. been fun it's well, also a been part of that was interesting <laughs> emily's mom being down there so yeah. the idea is that she's you know helping emily out with the kids yeah. while you are up here on like basically every other week is how we've been doing yeah, it here back during and the forth. summer Exactly. Yeah. So they're having fun. We're having fun when I'm there. But mm-hmm. it's also kind of like, uh, yeah, sometimes you just got to uh, think outside the box. And this was an L- a way for us to, oh, wait, hey, there's a lot of short-term rentals down in down in this part of Florida. Yeah. So we can easily find something. And yeah, it's been it's been kind of a fun experience. But nice. it does make it a little more difficult on uh, the well, work, work action. But well, exactly. I'm, I got to think you feel a little unmoored as well, right? Yeah. Like where it doesn't really feel like you have a, a home a home base. But yeah. well, I, and, ready to be back in there. And I suggested too, I was like, well, how about just take your computer now? there and we can record remotely but you just miss me too much right <laughs> <laughs> to be gone for that long exactly we've never recorded not in the same room that would be it would be weird. different well yeah. i mean we do interviews all the time but it's always you and i sitting here at the table yeah. sharing a beer yeah uh while we talk about money or interview somebody else but yep. 
So we are flexible uh, for sure, which is nice, nice to have. So, yeah. uh, but this is my money story. It really, honestly, has informed so much of why I'm passionate about this subject and mm-hmm. how this podcast started to begin with. So, without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel, and I am Matt, and that's right. The day has come. It is now time for Joel's money origin story. That's right, buddy. Today on the show, it's all about me. All about you this time. Hip, hip, hooray. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to a chat and, and kind of diving into some of my money backstory. We got to tackle yours last week, and it was a lot of fun. I learned a little bit. I hope our listeners learned a lot. And yeah, uh, this week, it's my turn in the hot seat. Does everything feel backwards? Because I kind of d- announced the actual yes. title of this episode. You brought us back from the, the break with the music. Feels the... like left is right and up <laughs> is down. Exactly. Which makes me think of those bicycles where, like, they're engineered so that if you steer left, it actually goes right. Have you seen these things? <laughs> I think it's I've like seen a, total a video or two. Mind cluster uh, <laughs> <laughs> where, where, like, you literally can't ride it, and it takes I don't know, like, like tons of practice. I think it would, t- it would take a long time to retrain your brain exactly to do that. because yeah. once you've been doing something for so long, it's it it, it feels really awkward sometimes. And Even just a small thing like this does. Who a introduces bit. the <laughs> podcast episode? Yes. Uh, but, but before we get to my money story, and yeah, there's a lot. I think we're gonna cover. I don't know. I mean, it's really it's up to you. So we'll we'll see where it goes. Okay. Uh, but I wanted to mention one thing quickly that. Uh, one of my friends, uh, his, who, his name is Brennan. He goes by the moniker Budget Dog Budget on dog. Instagram like and Twitter. Yeah, I like that a lot. I, literally, I asked him uh, how how he got that name, and he was like sitting there with his dog while he came <laughs> came up with it. So it just like really like, was I like, I like budgets and I like, I like dogs. dogs. Yep, exactly. So he's a he's a good dude, and he's doing a lot of great work out Only there if he on the internet with a D A W G. Sadly, no. Yeah, he did not. You know, that's how it goes. <laughs> but he mentioned the other day on Twitter, and I had not heard. Of this company before uh, a company to help you roll over your old 401k and it's called capitalize and i looked into this because i was like all right Brennan knows what he's talking about. What is this thing? And it is this cool. It's actually Capitalized was named one of Time's top inventions for 2021. And it is this site where you get to go roll over your 401k for free into an IRA. And there are a whole lot of reasons to do this. Like we could get into all the nuance. We're not going to because that's not what this episode is about. But uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. And it's just one of those cool cool things. Yeah. If you have an old retirement account sitting somewhere else and you want to move it to a place with lower fees and better fund options, a place like Capitalize is going to help you do that. They're going to handle the paperwork, which is like for me, the most annoying part (laughs) usually. And so, yeah, it just, it seems like this cool new service and I wanted to mention it. We'll, we'll again, put a link to the show notes and yeah, if you, if you're one of those people who's like dreading doing the annoying intricacies of personal finance, Mm. something as dorky as you know rolling an account over from a 401k into a new ira very uh, technical yes yeah but ultimately not that hard but capitalized makes it even easier and also first world problems right like are you <laughs> over here joel complaining that you've got too many 401ks from previous employers <laughs> <laughs> that you have to keep up with oh what a hard life that is no, coming from it, somebody who's never had a 401k right <laughs> but we <laughs> do say recently. simplification is a huge part of making yeah. personal finances yeah. yep, yep. better for people and if this helps you simplify things combine everything into accounts with fewer companies and 
and, and also I reducing totally get it. that drag yeah. of fees at the same time. Like it's well oh, worth yeah. your time yeah, to do this. If you're with a provider who, yeah, does not give you the best investing options. You know, I will say if you are able to maintain those accounts and if the investing options are equivalent or similar across the board, there's, there's no magic to combining all of your accounts into a single giant account, right? right. You're going to earn the same types of returns. Uh, if you've got $100,000 that's spread across three accounts, the same returns that you'd see if all of that money was just in a singular account. But like you said, it's more of like a, a mental thing. And if that helps you as an individual, then go for it. Yeah, as long as they're in the same fun choices, right? Yeah. Uh, for sure. So yeah, we'll link to it in the show notes. But Matt, let's mention the beer that we're having on this episode. We're drinking a beer called Woodland Pursuit. It's a New England IPA from the folks at Humble Forager. And I'm looking forward to drinking this one while we share my money origin story today. That's right. And I picked this one out specially for you. And we'll, we'll talk about uh, why, I guess, at the end of the episode. Sounds good. Well, like last Wednesday's episode, it is, uh, it's time for you listeners to really get to know us on a deeper level. Last week, you, yeah, you got to hear my money story and the uh, experiences that impacted how it is that I view money. And now it's Joel's turn. Hailing from the Pacific Northwest, weighing in at like 180 pounds, maybe? Um, 189. Okay. (laughs) 189. Also, the very, you're the tallest half Norwegian, I know. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, you were raised here in the South. Uh, My best friend, Joel Arsgaard, he uh, might have been the cheapest guy I've ever met, which is why I think we immediately hit it off when we first met uh, around a decade ago. I think it also helps a ton. Our wives hit it off as well. True. Uh, But I had never met anyone cheaper than me, (laughs) and that's saying a lot. Uh, And it's no wonder that we were destined to start a personal finance podcast together. There truly is so much that I already know about you, uh, but like any good story, you start at the beginning, and I, I realize that I don't know what your first money memory is, and so, yeah, do you have a, a clear moment when you grasped the concept of money? Uh, also, did you always prefer the Kirkland Signature pizza, even as a toddler, <laughs> <laughs> or was that a more of an acquired taste? Yeah, no, that was later in life, really. Uh, right. That was a more, more recent occurrence, uh, and, and I will say, actually, I talked about this recently on Twitter with somebody, how uh, a Little C raised the prices of their pizza. <laughs> that <laughs> inflation, in, baby. The inflation rubbers meet in the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, but life's too short to really eat cheap pizza too frequently. <laughs> so I uh, usually spring for the nicer stuff these All days. Right. But yeah, I, I guess when it comes to first money memories, probably my first money memory is my parents had like this uh, this cardboard cutout with like little dimes and nickels and pennies and dollars. Did you ever have one of those? Where it's no. like it's like a little learning uh, way to learn about money. And so oh, nice. I, I remember seeing that and it was this tangible thing where I got to group them and do addition and okay. subtraction and kind of get to figure out how money works. Okay. I do remember doing that in elementary school. I had like, like the like, same uh, cardboard like really? clock to learn time and Man, stuff. So I don't your know. Your parents like stole it from the elementary school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, your, your older sister probably ganked it and, uh, and you got to take a look at it. At, she was at a home. bad one. You know, <laughs> I, I learned a lot from that. Uh, so yeah, I think that was probably, like, probably the most early memories I have okay. is, is kind of playing with those physical cardboard cut out of money but but then i think some Rob, kids had gi joes joel, joel had dollar bills on his shelf all lined up yeah uh. not necessarily no i was not like groomed <laughs> to be some sort of yeah, personal finance nerd but uh, i think the the other thing that sticks out in my mind when i'm thinking about the earliest memories i have of like actual money was when my parents and i had to have conversations about 
in particular the shoes that I wanted to buy. I was like super okay. into the fancy basketball shoes of the day, the the Scottie Pippins, the Michael Jordans, mm-hmm. all the all the good stuff, the Charles Barkleys. They all had great shoes, yeah. man. Speaking of investments, if only you had gotten a couple pairs of those and never worn them, kept yes. them in the box, you I mean, you'd be a multimillionaire, wouldn't you? Thousands <laughs> at least, right? Yeah. So, that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, having uh, there was always a conversation between my parents and I cuz they said, "Listen, here's a limit on what we're willing to spend for shoes for you." If you want, we can get you these like Reeboks, <laughs> and you're gonna and, and you can wear those. Mm-hmm. But if you want those nicer shoes, you you're gonna have to bring some of your own birthday or or uh, Christmas money to the table in order to make it happen. And that was the first time I think I realized trade-offs and how important trade-offs are when we're talking about personal finances. Yeah. And sometimes, occasionally, I did opt for the fancy shoes. I put my money where my mouth was, and I was like, this is worth it. And I still remember that pair of Scotty Pippins, and they were worth it. They, uh, they felt so good on your feet. They were so good. Yeah. But most of the time, I opted to say, I don't know, I'm going get to the, get the free shoes that mom and dad are going to buy me. But that's one of those, uh, I think, first memories I had where I was like, I have a decision, and I have money that I can choose whether or not this is worth it or not to me. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I love what your parents did there as well, because essentially what they're doing is matching you, right? Like they're kind of meet, meeting you. I don't know exactly how much they're willing to, to you know, bring to the table, uh, but the ability for them to kind of incentivize you to alter your spending, your behavior a little bit, because you could have taken that money and been like, yeah, I really want those shoes. And then you go blow the rest of the money on your Sega Dreamcast or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you buying from like a yard sale or something. Uh, but yeah, because I I love when parents are able to mimic the different types of patterns and behaviors that we're going to encounter in real life, yes, right? Yeah. And so this, I mean, I love that your parents did that, and I look forward to being able to, to do that with you know with my kids. I'm sure you you're looking forward to doing the same uh, as our as our kids get older. Oh yeah. So kind of moving along, you know, one of the things that I think is really impressive uh, about you is the number of different like different jobs that I've heard you had <laughs> uh, while you were in high school. Like I only worked at the local golf course, but you had uh, a quite varied work history. So yeah, tell us about that. And uh, specifically, did you have a favorite job that you held? Okay. So yeah, I, I, I had a bunch of different jobs growing up and, and some of them before the age where you're legally allowed to work, just stuff in the neighborhood like mowing lawns, right? And that oh, was yeah. like literally my first introduction to making my own money. And that was empowering. And my dad was just a big help in helping me get that business off the ground, like had just a few yards in the neighborhood. And he was always willing to help me on a Saturday, which is huge. Like mm-hmm. he wasn't just like, all right, go pound the pavement, son. He was like, I, I know he was dead tired from working all week. And he still came with me to mow those lawns, That's which awesome. I, yeah, major props to my pops. But uh, yeah, then at, at 14, the earliest age you could start working in the state of Georgia, I started working at Chick-fil-A and uh, right across the street from my high school was the easiest place to get to. So I could walk straight across and work for three hours before I would go home for the evening. And I still remember my starting wage, $5 and 15 cents an hour, (laughs) which was the bare minimum you were allowed to get paid. It's a far cry from what they're paying today. But I think my favorite job overall in those years between like, you know, growing up and then, and then getting to to college was working at the Eckerd photo lab. Okay. uh, That was just like a, a fun job where I was like, getting to interact with people who had just gone on vacation and they turned in their photos. And I, do people even still do that anymore? I don't think so. Uh, there's not they, like a they, photo person. Well, they do. I mean, they've got the printers, but you just send in, you, you, they don't bring in the rolls of film. Exactly. You know, they, they send it in from their phone. But or me, I was like manning the machine and right. ch- changing uh, changing tones. I got like an old school version of Photoshop. Yeah. And then I would get to talk to people about the photos I had seen. Cause, yeah, because you'd seen it and yeah. you kind of know who's about to walk into exactly. the store because you've been staring at pictures of them. Yeah, I'm like, hey, Rome looked like 
like it was fun, huh? How about it? They're like, dude, stop being a creep. <laughs> so that was a fun I was trying one. not to be the Robin Williams okay. from One Hour Photo. but <laughs> um, I mean, so you just enjoyed that. That was just a, I mean, it sounded like it was fun from a social standpoint. Yeah. And knowing you, obviously, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, just got, the way I got to interact with people was yeah. probably the most fun part of that. Did you, did you ever have like a, a really amazing boss or manager um, who... I don't know. I, I, I feel that in the past, when I look back to some of the different folks who influenced me, they were always really good teachers. Uh, and so for me, for whatever reason, that's something that would stand out to me is the ability to not just do the job and get some get some stuff done, but the ability to grow as an individual and to learn. I'm, I'm curious if you had some different jobs where you had an individual that stood out to you. I feel like I've always been lucky to work for awesome people really? uh, for the most part. Like there are a couple of bosses I can point back to and be like, not my favorite, but but for the most <laughs> Maybe part. Maybe the uh, Chick-fil-A manager. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, they were, they were great, honestly. Yeah. And uh, it's one of those good. situations where when you're 14, 15 and you're completely immature, you need someone who's going to give you like a whole lot of grace as they're kind of you know, helping you grow up into an adult. And I'm, that was just a great learning experience for me having a job early on. But, good. but yeah, I think the managers there were, were super helpful and it was a great experience. I, I don't know. Probably my favorite boss was, was at the, the radio station I worked at for like 14, 15 years. And j- just because he was such an encourager and he was such a believer in your talent and abilities. Mm-hmm. And he was always encouraging, not, not just me, everybody in, in the building uh, about what they could do. And I remember reading something actually from a friend recently who she she is a writer and she writes all the time. And she points back to, she pointed back recently to this high school teacher who told her, you're a great writer and like you can do this. Mm-hmm. And that's still is in her mind, motivating her to write to this day. And I think, Interesting. I yeah. look back to some of those conversations when I was working at the radio station and my boss saying like, you got this, you got talent. And like, nice. you need to keep working at this, but like, I like what you're doing. And that goes a long way in helping foster someone's career. And if you can be that person, I think, to tell somebody uh, that, that they're on the right path or that you like what they're doing, you never know how far those words of encouragement are going to go. That's funny. Yeah. As you were saying that about your friend who was a writer, it made me think back to when I was in college, uh, one of my professor, when I was taking advertising classes. I remember her specifically talking about photography yeah. uh, because essentially we had to come up with our own little campaign and she's like, hey, this, this is a re- pretty great concept. You know, the headline, like the copy is great, but these images are awesome. Uh, <laughs> she's like, have you ever thought about photography? And thinking back, I realized that maybe that may have been what kind of pointed me in the direction of focusing more on photography as I got into graphic design. It always had a more photographic uh, lean to it and then obviously got into photography as well. And we are actually going to talk more about, you know, your history there at the radio station. I think uh, I'm going to have a question maybe about the same boss who you mentioned, uh, (laughs) perhaps. But before we get to that, though, like before we get to that stage of your life, you know, I think like here on the show, you've only really just touched on the fact that like it wasn't all smooth sailing at home as a kid when it came to money. Uh, Do you want to share, you know, what I've heard you describe before as perhaps your most pivotal money moment? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think this is really when if there is a inflection point in my personal finance trajectory, it was growing up age basically 12 or 13 when my parents ended up filing for bankruptcy. And mm-hmm. at the same time, after that, uh, the our car got repossessed. And it was just one of those things where we knew it was going to happen. We just didn't know when. And one day we were expecting it to happen and it didn't happen, didn't happen. And then it was gone one morning. And it was one of those <laughs> things where I just remember as a kid, it was kind of like looming over our heads. Yeah. And at the same time, it was money was uh, a constant source of friction in the house. And 
so yeah, hmm. I think I was also at this important age where it left this indelible mark on me. Whereas sure. like my younger sister, she was a little bit younger than me, maybe couldn't not not quite old enough to realize exactly what was going on. My my older sister was in high school. She was like dating and working, and I was just at this like hyper impressionable age where that left a major mark, and I think has uh, probably still contributed to how like, how I view money today, and and just how maybe how intentional I am with it. Uh, and, but yeah, that was that was the point. It was that it was that age, and it was those things happening in my family's life that made me say like, you know what, I want to be good with money. You know, you know what, I want to be good enough with money where I don't ever have to argue about money with my spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that you know Emily and I don't still have money disagreements from time to time, but it's one sure. of those things where we don't want to have get to the point where we're not sure if we're going to have enough and that leads to conflict um, sure. or us having to do things that we don't want to do in order just to secure more money. Um, but yeah, that, that's definitely the probably the most pivotal point in my life when it comes to how I think and view and do money in personal finance. Yeah. I mean, we, we always are going to have disagreements uh, oftentimes with our partners when it comes to money, but you just don't necessarily want all of your conversations to be negative, right? Like, right. like hopefully you are, are in a, a position uh, where you can sit down and when you talk about money, it's it's a very good conversation. Yeah. It's this thing that where maybe you're cracking out, you know, a craft beer or a bottle of wine. You're having this meeting with your partner because you are wanting to look ahead at the different goals that you share or that you're, you know, that might be looming on the horizon. But you know, I, I yeah, I think it's hard to fully understand and you know the impact of an event like that. Like as we're growing up, even you know when decades have passed and we have the benefit of hindsight. Do you ever wonder like what would have happened if that repo had, had never happened? Do you think that maybe instead you would have been kind of like spendthrift Joel like there would have been this alter ego <laughs> honestly bizarro Joel probably like, you think so yeah I, th- I do okay, think so wow. I mean I don't really think about it like that very often but I do think that left such a mark that I am a different person because you'd, of it you'd be, you'd be a sneakerhead. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't think yeah maybe maybe I would be one of those guys spending all his money on fancy sneakers you these do days. spend more on shoes than I do I'll say that. <laughs> yes uh, but I, I, I also I don't think of it as this negative experience that I would go back and change even though mm-hmm. in at, at the time it was difficult. I feel like what it's led to has been something really good. And yeah, so I don't think of it as something that I want to go back and erase. Uh, but at the same time, that doesn't that doesn't mean it was easy while it was happening. Sure. It's not something that you would wish that, that you're planning to happen to your family, yeah, so, you know, right. to, to your kids. Uh, all right. So I feel like we've kind of covered young Joel. We're going to get to a slightly older Joel. We're going to get to Joel as he entered adulthood. Uh, I've got several other questions, including some uh, a question about college. And we'll actually get to that right after this break. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So, it's safe to say, it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend. 
I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach. Do. Every single summer, we've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, so we are back. We're doing a special deep dive episode on Joel's money origin story. Uh, and Joel, you just shared the experience of having a family car repossessed. But ultimately, that that wasn't a decision that you yourself made, right? It happened to you. You were kind of more in the passenger seat, not literally. You, I, I was not the one who bought the car. You, at exactly. 12, yeah. you, <laughs> I did not do the financing. It was, you were more in a passive position, I guess, is, is what I'm getting at here. Um, but while you were in college, you actively made a decision that ended up having a, a lasting impact on your finances. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Yes. I mean, so while I was in college, the, the first two years, I ended up going to like a private school in South Carolina. And it, I think it was the best place for me at the time for the first two years of school. But it was one of those things where I realized halfway through, wait a second, I'm taking on I'm taking on debt to go to the school. I got uh, fortunately I got a lot of great scholarships, but still uh, I, I was at the at two years into into a, college. A private school, yeah, cost a lot of money. I had twelve grand in student debt, and probably a lot of people just laughed when they heard that because they're <laughs> like, that is nothing. That that's like basically twelve grand, buddy. Yeah. Sure, that's like books for <laughs> for me. Exactly. And and a lot of people would feel that way. And especially right now, I, I get it. Like the, yeah. the price of education has skyrocketed, of course, in the last, what, 15, 18 years. Mm -hmm. But it's at the same time for me, I said, why, why am I here? And can I accomplish the same, the same goal? What I want? Can I get what I want uh, at another school where maybe it's free? And uh, the cool thing about the state of Georgia and a lot of other states have something similar. They have this thing called the Hope Scholarship where 
if you had uh, over a 3.0 GPA in high school, you were able to go to college for free in state. Mm-hmm. I mean, the in state universities. And so I transferred back and ended up getting uh, my last two years of education for free because of that. Uh, and I was living at home and working at the same time. So it was one of those things where I'm, yeah, I'm really glad I made that choice. Not adding more student loan pain <laughs> to that to that bucket load of debt is is something I'm I'm happy I avoided. Totally, and let's be honest too. Like, there's a good chance of you not getting out in two more years. You probably would have been on that five year plan uh, <laughs> off of that private school. No, it's interesting. Actually, switching back was one of those things where I lost a couple of credits, and so I had to. Oh, work, really? I had to work even harder. Uh, oh, and, but man. I'd already been taking like. 18, 19 hours. And so mm-hmm. it kind of put me back on the track to like, all right, you still got to take 16, 17 hours every semester because okay. a couple of them didn't transfer, but it was still worth it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you know, like what I really appreciate though, is the fact that like you were willing to make this serious change to your life. Like once you realize that things weren't panning out, because I believe that that most college students in your position, I think they would have just stuck around and, and wrote it out while racking up that debt. I feel like that's what I would have done. Like, because at that point in your life, you're surrounded by friends. You see sort of the trajectory of everyone. And for me, yeah, like I, at one point I thought about changing majors and I knew that that was going to mean an additional year or two uh-huh. and I thought no way like I am <laughs> I can't I can't do that a I didn't want to I didn't have the, the money on hand because I was running out of scholarship but B all my friends were graduating yep. and so I there for me there was almost like this social pressure and that's actually kind of surprising I guess because you are a very social dude but even still you're able to combat that uh, you're able to fight those pressures well a lot of my friends actually were seniors that year when oh, I was graduating well, so there you go they were leaving okay. and I was like I guess it's <laughs> I mean, why not? Uh, because, yeah, when your friend base is leaving, you're right. That t- kind of helps make that decision a little bit easier. Got it. Uh, but but I will say, yeah, I think you're, that... You're, yeah, you, you can't credit that fully. You were able to <laughs> piggyback off of the fact that you had a bunch of friends who were graduating. Yep. You're like, sure. they're graduating. Time for me to get out of here, too. I'm going to peace out as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that was, definitely, that was definitely part of it and made that decision easier. Yes. Uh, I think that's one of the things that, like you said, a lot of uh, high school students, a lot of young adults going into college first couple years, they're oblivious to the student loan debt that they might be taking it on. I think they're becoming less oblivious. I think it's become such a problem that they can't avoid knowing what's happening to them. But for a long time, uh, a a lot of people in, you know, just a little bit younger than we are, have been kind of fed the belief that a college education at whatever cost is going to be worth it. Mm -hmm. And now people are being forced to challenge that. Uh, assumption a little bit more. And I think it's a good thing because it's not that we think college is a bad thing. Like I would go over and do it again for myself. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, you have to weigh the risk and the reward and you have to say, uh, do it in a responsible manner because if you don't, it's not a good decision. Uh, And Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that whatever education you're receiving is going to be put to good use and that the debt, uh, the potential debt load that you're taking on, that you minimize it and that it uh, propels you to higher earnings. Nice. Yeah. And you also shared that you're saving money by living at home. I think that is such an underrated way to do college, right? Because like you said, (laughs) those first two years, undergrads are oblivious. I mean, literally my first two years, I changed schools like within the college both I mean I did it literally I think every single year I was in college uh, I was in a different school because I thought oh first I'm going to be a science major oh no that I don't like chemistry <laughs> that's not working out and so now I'm going to be in the business school I'm in Terry uh, and you bounce around and I mean those first few years I you know granted some of those credits did count but you, you have no idea what you're doing. That's what those first two years are for, though, yes, some of that trial and error. Absolutely. And but figuring out what you're interested in. What better way to uh, experience some of that trial and error uh, than to be paying very little money exactly. by going to a, a local community college? Yes. We are huge 
proponents of, uh, of folks doing that. So yeah, you graduated, you kind of you know started to grow up a little bit, uh, move on with your life. Before we started our own little company here, you know, with this podcast, like I pictured you as what I'd call like a company man. <laughs> um, not that you had a, good like or you, bad. Well, you didn't have to wear like a suit or anything, right? Uh, but you, no, that's actually part of the reason and a terrible reason. But why I chose to go work in radio was because you could wear jeans and flip flops, <laughs> and literally that was half of my reason. Really, like, you don't have to dress up to do that. <laughs> I feel uh, yeah, well, a lifestyle and what it feels like to go work for a company totally. that, that have that has a, a lot of weight when it comes to the decisions. I mean, literally when I was looking to apply to different advertising agencies, like I, that was also something I kept in mind as well because. Actually, I, I can't remember if Mad Men was out at that point. But st- even still, the modern advertising agency, it was, it was still kind of like a cooler place to work. Yeah. You're like, if I can't it, drink an old-fashioned <laughs> on the job, I'm out of here. Uh, than like an accounting firm or something like that. But the ability to work in a creative department and, and just wear jeans and a hoodie uh, was cert- definitely something that was appealing to me. Uh, and so it's not fancy in that way, but your job specifically... Like you had nice company benefits, uh, like a 401k. Like I just joked earlier about how that's not something I ever had access to, but you did. You had a match. I've never had anything like that up until very recently here with our company. So my question for you, did you start investing? Did you start maxing out that 401k right away? Like, How did you know that that was a, a smart move to make? How did you learn what to do? Sure. Yeah, no, I did not start maxing out right okay. away. I was, I was really... I, I knew... You heard it, folks. When Joel <laughs> first got his first job, he was not taking advantage of the company match. No, Well, no, I was getting the match. Okay. That was the one thing I knew not to screw up on. There you go. But only because literally the job that... I, my first job that I, that I got... Or, well, not my first job, but the, the, the second job that I got that I was at for 14, 15 years was... We talked a lot about personal finance. That was... That we I worked on a consumer advice mm-hmm. radio show, and so I knew enough to not miss out on the company match. But I had still not yet my my ears had not been perked up to the ideas of financial independence and the idea of like, well, okay, yeah, I'm gonna get if I save ten percent for uh, forty five years of my life, then I'll be able to retire. That was still kind of the way I was thinking at that point in in life. Kind of have that old school mindset. Yeah. Well, I will say, still. plus my, my salary was minuscule yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the time. So <laughs> maxing it out was, I, I wouldn't have been it able to live. It wasn't an option. No, it was, <laughs> it was like not even close to an option. So getting the match was enough of a sacrifice for me to be able to make. But later on, as like my, I got more in tune with what money can do uh, if it's invested early enough. I did begin to uh, pour more and more into my 401k, max out my Roth IRA, then eventually max out my 401k. And go. so it's one of those things where I was like, yes, okay. I, but I wish somebody had challenged me to do that sooner, had said, you know what, the match is great, uh, but you can do more. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why I get excited, especially when we hear from younger How to Money yes. listeners. And oh, they're like, dude. I'm doing it already. And I'm like, man, if only you have, yeah, 23, you, 24, I had that same information, that same challenge, that same knowledge that you have. Like, I, you know, and 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 part of it really is not just. I can't blame it on a lack of knowledge. It really was just a lack of intentionality, mm-hmm. and um and so yeah, the fact that they have all those things working together, yeah, I'm super impressed. Well, I mean, I will say, just reaching financial independence, it, it had a branding problem basically, true. right? And That's in true. the past ten years, it really has come a long way as being, you know, as as folks seeing retirement as something that you do when once you hit uh, fifty nine and a half or sixty five years old, where you sit on the you know the rocker on the front porch, you got the gold watch, you're sitting there. You no longer have to work. That has always been the view, typically, of retirement, of reaching uh, a point of financial freedom. But over the past 10 years, we have seen a dramatic 
dramatic shift in what it means to be financially independent. It doesn't mean waiting until you're really old to completely pull the plug on working. It can mean gradually over time making that transition, taking on different jobs that you want, just the ability to have options. Socking away enough so you can quit your day job and go do your own thing and start exactly. your own business. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think the the uh, nuance in the space has grown dramatically mm -hmm. and so many great voices have come up to say like, no, you can go this path or you can go this path. And so it's opened up people's eyes to say, oh, wait, there are a lot of different directions I can go in. It's not just the one path that has kind of been the traditional. traditional yeah, exactly. Yeah. The traditional path. Exactly. Okay. So real quick, once you got that first decent paying job, what were you splurging on before craft beer, right? So on every uh, interview, we bring guests on and we ask them what their craft beer equivalent is. What was your craft beer equivalent before craft beer? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was probably baseball games. I was going to Braves games. A lot. Uh, okay. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, again, I didn't I didn't have much money, uh, especially in those those early working years. And I I was able to score Braves tickets for super cheap because mm -hmm. they played downtown. Almost nobody went to the games. I could ride my bike over there. Yeah. And I would go to games and get out of there for five bucks or <laughs> ten bucks if I bought some food. I mean, there was just all these ways to go to Braves games for super cheap that don't exist now. And so I feel like uh, it's like a but you weren't relic from an old time. Right, right. So, so you weren't spending money on it. Was, it, was there something else? But I was else? going consistently, okay. right? So And so I would a go to- A small purchase done consistently yeah. adds up. I would go 20, 25 games a year. Wow. And yeah. those were those were good old days. Now I make it to one, maybe two. <laughs> I didn't make it to the World Series, of course, like I told everybody. That's but. right. And you didn't, I guess we haven't talked about this yet on the show. You got, you got you, you scored yourself some of that World Series swag. I got a shirt some for- Some of that merch. For Christmas, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was that was kind of what I viewed as my splurge for the time. I was like, I'm all, I'm going to go to as many Braves games as I want. You're the Braves game guy. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Uh, okay, so you've kind of alluded to this. Many folks know Clark Howard. And, you know, he was a nationally syndicated consumer advocate radio host, and like you said, he talks a lot about personal finance. And so uh, I'm assuming you learned a ton while working on a show. There's a lot of different concepts, a lot of different principles that I'm sure you heard reiterated on the show constantly. Uh, but my, so my question for you though, is like, do you have any specific lessons that you learned, like not necessarily from the show, but just from being around Clark Howard himself that you, uh, different lessons that you picked up from observing him in real life? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and by the way, the, the person I was talking about earlier on, the boss who influenced me was not Clark. Oh really? It was actually oh. the program director, Pete Spriggs, who was, oh, okay. just, it still is a phenomenal human being. But there you, there you go. I could have said many of the same things gotcha. about Clark, uh, gotcha. truly. And, and yes. Um, Shout he, out to Pete. Yeah. <laughs> Pete's awesome. Miss that guy. But he, Clark is such a generous guy and in every sense of the word. And and he's like this positive influence, I would say, on on everybody that he that he meets, like random people at Costco, mm -hmm. the way he treats them hmm. or uh, just people, uh, so, somebody on the street, somebody has a flat tire. Like he's the kind of guy who stops to help change it. Like that's awesome. That's rare, especially yeah. in today's day. Oh, yeah. And so yeah, I think what I learned from Clark was the way you treat everybody matters and down to the person who's checking out your groceries at the grocery store or the waitress or waiter when you're ordering food and mm -hmm. uh so i don't know i think that goes a long way he was just this like incredible cocktail of like optimism mm -hmm. kindness and humility and it just kind of uh it's infectious it makes you want to live in the same way, and he's definitely that kind of guy. He's one impressive dude. Well, especially considering, I mean, we had him on the show here last year. Uh, we can link to that episode in our show notes. But we, we talked about how he sold his first business when he was very young. Right. He was financially independent at a very young age. Uh, and so you could easily see him going in a direction that wouldn't lend itself to being charitable, not only with your money, but also how you treat other people. Yeah. 
So yeah, so on that note, we're going to take a quick break. But after that, speaking of financial independence, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. We're going to talk about real estate. We'll get to all of that right after this break. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, we're back from the break. Uh, we're going to wrap this thing up here before long. Yeah, get kick me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got somewhere to be. Buddy. I got somebody else to talk to. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, literally nobody else to talk to today. Just uh, um, some episodes for to, to edit and listen to. But let's talk about real estate specifically, because I honestly can't remember uh, how it is that you got interested in investing in real estate. I know my story. We talked about this last week. Uh, I remember how I had you know, the, the seeds of real estate planted, uh, but I don't know uh, how that came about for you. So can you share you know, how it is that you, that you first saw the light when it came to real estate? Okay. So this is going to probably sound a little lame, but my, uh, <laughs> my mom, super big into HGTV. 
Okay. Loves HT. Like she is probably Joanna Gaines's biggest fan. She is, and yep. she has she her and your dad. They they didn't they go to Texas. They went to Waco. And they specifically stayed <laughs> in a property that she had renovated. Yes. Was that on like was it an Airbnb? Yes, it was. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. I bet that thing rakes in the cash. Yeah, and then she's not like <laughs> she's not like stalker level, but um, if she met her in person, I think she might think uh, she'd be that. She would definitely recognize her on the street. Yes. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. But she's she'd probably I don't know she'd probably play it cool. She probably would. But for just start sweating. <laughs> Uh, gotta play it cool and but for me i would say hgtv not my favorite channel um but there was this one show that would come on and flip or flop or something like that? no oh, it was okay. called uh income property okay and it was this oh. host scott mcgillivray i don't remember that one okay so this guy used to help people with their property turn it into uh like he would he would help them renovate it and turn it into uh, a cash a property that would cash flow even yeah. more. And sometimes he would turn a single family home into a duplex, or he would turn uh, a duplex into a nicer duplex. Or uh, there were all these different ways he would suggest to make over your house in order to make it more cash flow positive and 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 help it to make more money and be more valuable. I like it. And I remember watching that show, and I was like. Okay, so this is it's not just like paint on walls and QT and something up. Like he's he's got this plan and you would always see the numbers at the end and people would be raking in more rent than he even wow. assumed at the beginning. So that he'd be like, All right, if you do this into this duplex, you get twelve hundred on each side. And at the end of the day they're getting fourteen hundred on each side. And I was like, What? How are they they're they're killing it? Nice. And I think that sparked the seed of like, wow, okay, you can create something beautiful for somebody to live in and you can make money at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- there were certainly other touch points along the way. I mean, I think getting into the Bigger Pockets podcast for a while, which is is still a great one if you want to begin investing in real estate. It's really yep. like, yeah, definitely one of the best ones. It's tops. Um, that I would say though, kind of sparked at the beginning yeah. where I was like, oh, okay, my mind started Scott, turning. Scott, was that his name? Yeah. Uh, Scott G or J, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so he was the one that was like switching out, swapping out the uh, garage door before it was cool. But before <laughs> all the other publications had written about the fact that this one thing will increase the curb appeal right. and allow your property to return more. Yeah, he was month. he was super smart. He always did a good job with those renos and he really offered a lot of good advice and then he would do a lot of the work because he was also a, a contractor and they were always just fun episodes. I don't think that show's on anymore. But mm. it was one of those where if you went back to the backlogs and watched them, you would learn a lot. Got it. And so, yes, I mean, so you've been investing in real estate for a while now. At this point, I feel like you have a lot on your plate. You've got several properties that you yourself manage. You don't pay for management. You don't, you know, that's for the birds. You're uh, <laughs> you're getting all all that money. You're you're keeping those expenses uh, at a minimum. But you you're also uh, you're wrapping up renovating your home. You've got this, you know, the podcast. It's a full time job. You've got three kids. Do do you foresee yourself continuing to uh, buy additional properties. Where's your head at as far as your investment property portfolio moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think I do see myself buying more properties, but I also see myself going towards maybe easier ways <laughs> to mm-hmm. use the assets that I have or the money that I'm making to make investments because, yeah, like we've talked about on the show, we love investment properties and they have been great for, for us. They've been great for, for me and my family to grow our net worth, to have mm-hmm. monthly cash flow. And I love that we they're right around the corner from us and many of which we have lived in before. And so there's like this um, cool element to investing where you live. And I love that. I love that part of it. And I could see myself 
potentially buying more properties. But like you said, like yeah, plates kind of kind of fold these <laughs> these days. And if we want to grow this business, then growing the rental property business kind of takes a back seat. It's on the back burner. And so I think if I did want to do that, if I did want to go hard in that direction, I would have to find some help when it comes on the property management yeah, side. Yeah. And I, I was going to actually suggest that because I just kind of <laughs> knocked it. But like that's the path that you go. I mean, yep. you get to a certain point and there's a certain scale at which you can't handle it all yourself. Exactly. And it does feel like it makes a little bit more sense to have a manager, a management company or an individual who knows you, how it is that you like things to be maintained, the the different kind of vendors who you'd like to choose. And if you've got somebody on your side who's got your back like that, I I, I can see that being incredibly valuable yeah. uh, when it comes to, yeah, to, to, to freeing up your time. So yeah, maybe, but I, I still, I love there's something I love about physical real estate. And I think it's just, it's a fun investment in a lot of ways. It also, it has, there's so many perks. We've talked about them way too much on the show. And we, you know, there's older episodes you can go to dig into why we love it so much. But there's also just this, yeah, this, um, this tangible element that I like about it. Whereas mm-hmm. numbers on a screen have a different effect. They, <laughs> they don't do it for you as, as much. Huh? Not the same, right? Like a 401k balance or IRA. Like it's exciting to see those things grow, but I think it's more exciting for me to buy a property that I'm like, oh, this is undervalued. And oh, I can, I can, like it's that Scott McGillivray sort of mindset mm-hmm. where it's like, how can I maximize the returns on this piece of land here with this little house on it? Yeah. And I just love old it's houses fun. too. Yeah. It's I fun. love those 1920s and 30s houses. And yeah. that's kind they've of got, what they've got that character. Yeah. And so I'm like, I always get excited to go over and take a look at a house mm-hmm. because they're, they're pretty, they're cool. Um, it's, it's different than sticking your six grand in a Roth. Um, yeah. and so not, not like, that that's not a, that's a bad idea. It's no, just, yeah. You need to do that. If yeah. you're don't, don't hear Joel incorrectly. <laughs> right. Like, definitely right. do that. Make that a priority. I would say before you start dabbling into real estate, of and, course. And not everybody feels the same way I do about houses or about real yeah. estate. And a lot of people think of it as a pain or this thing to maintain. And I'm like, well, no, I think of it as this thing that you can make better, make prettier mm-hmm. and, um, and invite people to live in and improve and, the community. Yeah. And so part of it yeah. maybe is a mindset or maybe just a, a predisposition. I don't know. Yeah. So you're talking about the difference between tangible assets and intangible. So it sounds like you're less of an NFT guy, more of a masterworks kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> Even that, like I'm like, if I, if I don't get to put it in my house, I, I would rather, if I'm going to buy a piece of art, which I do. Buy it locally. I love art. Yeah. I buy the local art. I put it in my house. Get if for some reason that art like quintuples in value, cool. But um, I don't care really. Yeah. It also doesn't surprise me that you're into real estate because I, I, I feel like, like are, do you find yourself attracted to the aspect that you get to meet new people? So you know, it depends on how busy your life is. But when you show a property, it can either be the most, in my mind, in my experience, it can either be the most fun thing ever or, or it can be the most stressful thing. <laughs> uh, because if your calendar is pretty open, maybe the previous tenants got out of there a little bit sooner. You've already gotten the place cleaned. It's good to go. You feel good showing it, right? Like you've got time on your side. You've got folks lined up and you're able to talk to them. You kind of get to, to hear their story a little bit. Uh, but then other times, I don't know if you're, you know, if there's a very narrow window and you've got to show it to 20 people, uh, 30 people just in a single weekend. That's a good point. Yeah, That can be stressful. But I'm thinking about your first job there at the Eckerd's or whatever, the photo development yeah. you know, drugstore. There's an element of interacting with people that I could see you kind of getting into just kind of being there in person, getting to hear their story. Exactly. I think that's part of what I like about real estate too is yeah, even when you have to get contractors in there or something, if you get people you trust, like I, I love meeting my dude Edwin at the house and talking like he's a great guy. And so every time he's a good dude. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I got to put a, a, you know, a new bathtub in a place or something <laughs> like that. Like I get to get to say hi to him. And so your most recent work that you did at a rental, uh, some, some fresh, yeah, ba- new bathtub, new, new tile. tile. Yeah, exactly. And so those are the kind of things where I think that relational aspect, that bouncing around town and getting out of the house, like that stuff kind of, um, 
it's a lot of fun in, in my book. Yeah, yeah. So kind of on that note, we talk a decent bit here on the show about financial independence. We just, you know, we just talked about it here a little bit. Uh, we talk about financial freedom. We've shared how you and I, how we've essentially reached Coast Fire. And so what advice would you give to anyone who is really pursuing financial independence? They're really getting after it. Do you have any specific thoughts to share with folks? I guess when you when you phrase it that way, probably my initial reaction is to make sure you're doing it in a sustainable way. Was that a biased question? The way I asked no, that? no, no, no. I just think I think like <laughs> for the idiots out there who all they care about is money and they're just trying to hit their numbers. If somebody is already overdoing it, then you probably need to cool your jets yeah. a little bit. And overdoing it is a specific thing, right? But mm-hmm. uh, there are there are a lot of ways to accomplish the goals that you want without burning out in the midst of accomplishing those goals. And I think there is there is something to be said for slowing down and doing it in a methodical way. Because if your savings rate is 70%, well, what if it was 55% and you got to enjoy your life a little bit more? And maybe you weren't working your fingers to the bone. And maybe you got to spend more time with people that you loved and you got to take an extra week off. I mean, those are the kind of things where it's all... It's go, go back to what I said about sneakers. It's all a trade-off. <laughs> and you can buy those sneakers now. I'm not suggesting that you should. I'm just saying like there are measured trade-offs that are worth making in uh, even in, even in the here and now. And that's exactly what we try to bring to the show every week, right? Is saying like we drink a fancy beer because it adds a lot to our life and it costs more money than most people are willing to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, there, we have just a few areas of our lives where we do that. And I think there are some people who in the dogged pursuit of financial independence have are not letting themselves enjoy almost anything. Right. Uh, and I think that's a tough position to be in. I would say don't do stuff that you hate longer than you need to just mm-hmm. for money. Uh, but, but at the same time, we are also pro financial ind- independence. We're yeah. pro that pursuit. Yep. And so it is this, it is this balance that you have to strike. And so I think, hard to strike that balance. Yeah. The, the, the loudest voices are the extremes and they're the ones telling you like, go all the way, go all out. And you can do this in five years or less. And then there are the other people who are like, go the slow methodical route. And if you just invest, you know, seven, eight percent a year, you'll be able to retire when you're 45. And we're saying, and and it's not a super sexy message, but that there is an awesome place (laughs) in the in-between where you can, you can live the way you want to in a lot of ways now while paying a lot of attention to your money and how you invest so that you can set yourself up for success in a few years from now. And then for a lot of success, you know, a a decade or, or two from now. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, you know, we, so I think we've got a lot of listeners who are all across the spectrum when it comes to where they are in their pursuit of financial independence and their pursuit of being really smart with their money. But I think there's a, a sort of a real danger or, or a real temptation to look at what the world is feeding you and telling you that you should do, which is oftentimes the pursuit of money, success, power, the different things, achievement, right? Generally speaking, whether it be the the boss at work who is a great boss yeah. and who is encouraging you, like we talked about earlier. It's like, oh, you're such a great writer. And while that may have initially just been kind of a pat on the back or just them truly calling out a, a talent that they see, that can easily find its way being channeled into working more and, and neglecting some of the other important things in life. Um, I, like, I feel like money, just generally speaking, is it's almost like this, like it's the sirens, you know, like Odysseus, he's tying himself to the mast and the sirens, the call of that money, it will always be there. And I believe that there are fewer folks saying, be careful of that, yeah. as opposed to the, the voices, the books, the podcasts that are out there. Who are telling, yes, who are telling folks, and we're saying, you need this some is what you need to do. <laughs> you just go hard after it. And then once you achieve that, you're, you're going to have options. You're going to have success. You're going to have happiness. But we believe here that you've got to strike that balance. And it is, I think it's going to be easier for you to 
maintain that balance as you, you know, climb the ladder of success rather than having it be completely lopsided. You climb the ladder and then expect to be able to kind of find that balancing act yeah. while you're way up there on the ladder. I think it's a lot easier to find that balance when you're closer to the ground. But I like what you said. I mean, it, it truly is. It's difficult <laughs> because it depends on the individual. It depends where they are in their life. Exactly. Uh, it depends what they have going on, their interests, all of that you and, have and to and take when into I was, account. When you and I were 24, 25, we were willing to make more sacrifices with our time. Oh, yeah. In order to uh, make more money, so that we could invest it to make progress for our futures, and and now mm-hmm. you know a, a lot of the the hard work has been done, and, and it's not that there isn't a lot of hard work, fun work left to do, but it is one of those things where yeah, so much of it does depend on your life stage. Do you have kids? Like we talked to you know I don't know just what you just said made me think of multiple episodes we've done, multiple interviews that we've done. <laughs> one with Wes Moss about happiness and how yep. yeah, you can't just turn the dial on and off, and and basically like yeah, the the things that you're pursuing in the here and now are the hobbies, the relationships are crucial and you can't cut those off and then expect when you hit retirement, where are my friends at? And then I'm thinking about Carl, our interview with Mr. 1500 and how he's talking about how you shouldn't do live in flips when you have kids. And maybe some people are willing to do that, but like it is, there's like a time and a place for for everything and it's not one size fits all. That's for sure. Exactly. Well, speaking of core pursuits, as Wes Moss likes to call them, different hobbies, uh, let's get to our beer this episode, which is called Woodland Pursuit. And I completely, 100% picked up this beer for us here on the show, specifically for you, because it's got uh, a disc golf goal. Is that what you call them? Goals? Um, like the metal basket? The hole, I guess? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, the holes, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. disc golf. Uh, but it's got that, it's got a little little red putter sitting in there, and it's in, the, it's in the woods. It's called Woodland Pursuit, which also, Woodland, happens to be the name of the street that you live on. True. Our street's intersect so you've got woodland <laughs> you've got delaware this is a juicy new england ipa by one of our favorite breweries humble forger what were your what were your thoughts on this one yeah when i first saw this beer i was like oh my gosh this is like my spirit animal <laughs> beer it really is because yeah the disc golf the the woodland which is the name of my street it's perfect a street that i love and yeah this this was this was awesome beer matt this is delicious and it, you know it's funny because for an ipa it had a lot of like fruit flavor mm-hmm. but not not generic fruit like specifically like peach and apricot right yes yeah absolutely and i would say i think it's it, it, these this brewery does a lot of great fruited beers but there is no fruit in this beer it's all the hops it's all hops I'm, I'm like i literally am going to do a deep dive on this after we hit stop on this episode because i almost can't believe that there's not actually fruit in here but on the label, it only has hops listed out. It's well, just they, it's a New Zealand yeah, I was juicy say, they're, IPA. They're New Zealand hops. I guess I wonder if the New Zealand hops have like special flavor uh, varieties that we can't like, get here in the states. Can, can you go to New Zealand and just like eat the hops right off the vine, <laughs> and it's like you're eating an, an apricot or something? Now, I don't now know. I want to, <laughs> although I don't think they'll they'll let us in. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, but, but, but yeah, this more weeks. This beer is is so stinking good, so delicious, so satisfying, and I, I feel like yeah, this is now on my top favorites list. It's the perfect balance between the sweet and the bitterness that you get from the hops. There's so much juice, but it doesn't get too sweet. Like as soon as you taste it, you think, oh, this is going to be too sweet. But then it like, it kind of like drops off and it switches to kind of like that hoppy bitterness. Uh, and so they, they've somehow struck the perfect balance. This is one of the, the best, certainly the best beer we've had all year. Well, shoot. Yeah, we just had Trillium actually. So maybe <laughs> we've had some awesome beers. It's right up there with them. Though. It is it right really up there. Is. Uh, so yeah, if you happen to see this one in your local bottle shop, Woodland Pursuit by Humble Forger. We would 
highly recommend that you pick this one up. It's fantastic. But Joel, that's going to be it, buddy, for this episode. Listeners can find our show notes up on our website at howtomoney.com. That's right. And uh, next Wednesday, we'll resume kind of more of our normal format. Yeah. <laughs> Do, <laughs> that's right. Doing a deep dive on a specific personal finance topic. We can only interview each other so many times. Well, I don't know. We could do it on repeat. We, we did it twice. Groundhog so Day style. That'll be it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's going to do it, Matt. Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.